Hello, good afternoon. My name is Robert Rosenberg and I am here this afternoon with four of my extremely well-groomed colleagues. We have all brushed our hair ready for the event um, and we're here to talk to you about the bank of mum and dad and what happens when you have some spare cash and you want to give it to your favorite child or all of them um, and you you know what method would you use obviously you can just uh, transfer them some cash but a lot of people like to transfer it to a solicitor um, in order that they can buy property and what we're going to do is we're going to take you through the various types of ways of doing this from the one with the most control to the one with the least control and we'll talk about all the stuff in between um, so I'm going to introduce everybody um, first off um, my partner in property head of property Michael Stock is joining us today we also have my colleague, Ben Menahan, who is an associate in our property department. We will be passing to my colleague, Jamie Romer, a senior associate in our private client department. So he can tell you about estate planning and taxes and things like that. And also we are joined by my partner in family, Graham Fraser, who will tell you about all the different angles on the um, on boyfriends, girlfriends, and all the other things that you can have nowadays. Um, okay, so um, I would first of all like to pass over to my partner, Michael Stock, to say hello. Well, thanks, Robert, and thank you everyone for making the time to join us today on this brief whistle tour stop of this very important subject um, and topical. Well, I'm Michael Stock and I'm head of OGR Stock Denton's property department. The Bank of Mum and Dad is obviously the topical tabloid name, but it can apply to anyone who wants to help a young couple. Grandpa and grandma, uncles and aunt, family, relatives and friends. So that's the colloquial expression we'll be using today, mum and dad, and we're going to refer to mum and dad throughout. But just remember, it can apply to that any category of person, any, any type of person. And they may, and as I said, they may want to help a young couple starting, usually starting on the property ladder. And the point that I want to make here is that the, the giver, the donor, if it is going to be a gift, and we'll talk about the various options later, wants to see, normally see, the young couple enjoy the gift whilst that giver is alive. You know, many is the time where a, a, a person makes a gift, but they're dead and they don't see the young couple enjoy the, uh, the gift. So we've got this juxtaposition of, do you make a gift? Don't, do you not make a gift? Is it to be alone? So we're going we're to explore some of these options. And the point that I want to make at this, uh, at this juncture is do mum and dad really want to make a gift? As we'll see, this sort of topic brings into play the various, various specialist skills of my firm. Of course, it involves property advice initially, but you'll see it's absolutely imperative to obtain advice from my firm's other specialist solicitors 
a family law Graham, and Will's trusts and estate planning, Jamie, and of course, Ben, my property solicitor, associate solicitor colleague, will be speaking in a few moments. So everybody, I'd like to paint the, uh, the scene for everybody. So we've got this typical scenario. Bonnie and Clyde are two lovebirds, not yet, yet married. They want to buy a flat for £600,000. And Bonnie says to her parents, normally dad, dad, I'd like to buy this property with Clyde. Can you help? So as I indicated in my introduction, this brings into play a number of problems. On a, on a firm solicitor aspect here, who, who are we advising? Who is the firm of solicitors advising at this juncture? It's usually mum and dad who are extremely concerned about Bonnie's romance with Clyde. And of course, dad doesn't trust Clyde in my example. Indeed, I receive a fair number of calls from dad in that situation, who says, look, I asked Clyde what he does for a living, and he says a bit of that, a bit of sales. In other words, he does absolutely nothing. So he says, Michael, we, we've been burnt once. We, we made a gift of 400,000 pounds to our eldest daughter, Chloe, two, three years ago, and she divorced six months later and we don't want to be burnt again. What do you advise? So the point that I want to stress here is what we as solicitors are looking at is to advise mum and dad on the control mechanisms. It's all about the level of control that mum and dad want to, to exert here, ranging from no control with an absolute gift, ranging to, to absolutely putting a, a firm lever of control on perhaps making a loan. So without further ado, I want to explore, we'll explore these options and uh, I'd like to invite and introduce my colleague, associate solicitor, property lawyer, Ben Menahem, to go through the options available. Ben, over to you. Thanks very much, Michael, uh, and welcome everyone. Thanks for taking some time out of your lunch break to be with us. Um, so to jump right in, um, as Michael said, um, mum and dad, you have four options. And what we're gonna do is go through each option and see from a property, family, and private client law perspective, um, the best way to approach this. Um, and in each option really is the level of control um, you guys, mum and dad would have against the amount of tax you'd be liable to pay and also perhaps the stress you'd feel, and maybe you can balance up those options. So jumping into option one. So here's where you have the most control, but arguably the most hassle. This is where mum and dad buy the property in their own name. So this is an additional property to the one you live in. And the good things is that you can do as you please. You can design, develop, carve up, sublet. No one else can deal or go to the bank and take a loan out against it without your knowledge. Um, and the property will go to your children anyway in your will, um, you may think. Um, but, but one thing to bear in mind, which Jamie will elaborate on, is as a purchaser, you'll be on the hook for all the taxes that come with that. So as you know, um, topical tomorrow, we'll find out, stamp duty land tax um, at, the at the time of purchase, you'd have to pay that. Um, and in practice, our clients are quite hesitant 
about this way of helping their kids. The idea is to help, not necessarily to um, repair and manage a property. And sometimes it's all too much like hard work for mum and dad. Um, so with this in mind, we're going to turn firstly to Jamie. Uh, and Jamie can help you understand sort of the tax implications. And then we'll go to head of family, Graham, um, to look at family considerations. So Jamie, if mum and dad want to buy in their own name, good idea? Thanks, Ben. Um, okay, so if mum and dad purchase the property in their own names, it's great from a control point of view. They, they retain full control of the property. But from a tax point of view, it's really not great at all. And there's also one other practical uh, aspect that I'll go into um, afterwards. Firstly, turning to the tax points, um, capital gains tax is going to be an issue. Um, so just to very briefly explain, I'm sure uh, people are mostly aware, but just to briefly explain, um, if I sell the property that I live in, um, I don't have to pay capital gains tax on the gain between the date that I purchased it and the date that I'm selling it. The reason why I don't have to is because there's a relief, it's called principal private residence relief. Because it's my main residence, I'm exempt from capital gains tax. That only applies, of course, to the first property or the, the property that, that I live in. If I own more than one property, capital gains tax will be applicable to those other properties. So in this case, mum and dad obviously live in their own home. They'd be purchasing this as an additional home for Bonnie and Clyde to live in. Um, and therefore, it will be in the in the net for capital gains tax. So that's the first thing that they have to consider. If, if it's decided that Bonnie and Clyde are going to move somewhere else uh, at a later date, when that home is sold, there will be capital gains tax. That's the first tax to be aware of. The other tax, of course, is inheritance tax. Um, because mum and dad own this property, it's going to be in their estates for inheritance tax purposes. So although it's not their property for purposes because Bonnie and Clyde are living there, they don't have the benefit of the property, um, it's still completely and totally in their estate for inheritance tax purposes. And you might come into uh, a situation where uh, mum and dad, you know, God forbid, one of them, both of them, let's say, pass away um, at some point, um, there's going to be a big inheritance tax bill, but the property is actually being lived in by Bonnie and Clyde. It's not going to be sold, uh, and that could cause difficulties within the family down the line. Um, so those are the two tax issues that mum and dad have to be aware of if they go down this route. The, the practical issue that I want mum and dad to be aware of in this option is um, they may very well have prepared wills where they leave um, on second death, all of their estates equally to all their children. So let's assume that Bonnie has siblings. Um, in that case, Bonnie's home, the home that she's living in with Clyde, could eventually belong equally to her and all her siblings, which is not a great situation to lead the family. It's not a great route to lead the family down. So mum and dad, if they go down this route, will want to be reviewing their wills to make sure that they can restructure them in such a way uh, as to not lumber their children with this. Um, so that's really the perspective, from my perspective on this. Um, now over to Graham to, to view it from the family perspective. Thanks, Jamie, for that. Um, in terms of the um, 
the children, their claims are going to be, well, their, their rights are going to be very limited if the property is in the uh, in Bonnie's parents' names. And the only way that something could be established is by establishing a beneficial interest through constructive trust, which is a difficult thing to do, but also stressful if there are arguments about that at a later stage, either where the couple are living together or if they get married in the future. The other thing that they could do is that they could enter into a cohabitation agreement uh, whereby they deal with matters such as the payment of living expenses and improvements and things like that. Uh, but the, the, the question I would raise is um, what would be the incentive for Clyde to enter into that uh, in agreement under this level of control? So my concern is the level of stress and control that would uh, derived from such an arrangement and would it actually be something that would be depriving the children from something that they actually actually living their lives which I think was referred to in the introduction um, so back to Ben for the next option uh, thanks Graham and Jamie um, very helpful as mum and dad sat there maybe even the kids balancing up control tax um, and stress so now, um, if you join me with the very last option, so all the way to the other end of the spectrum, from a situation where mum and dad buy the property in their own name, to now the lease control. And this is where mum and dad make an outright gift of the money so the kids can buy the property. Uh, and here is arguably the most stress as well. So lease control, but most stress. Um, they're not expecting any repayment and they're not expecting any interest in the property here. So, so watch out, mum and dad. Effectively, you'd be signing a declaration, which I, as your property lawyer, would ask you for on my file, that you'll have no interest in the property. Obviously, we'll, you'll be clients of the firm and we'll look at the source of funds for this gift, um, but those are details for another time. Um, and interestingly, even though Bonnie and Clyde have to buy the property, there's no telling what they can do with the property and you have you know, no control. They could sublet part or whole of it, maybe take a trip to the Bahamas, um, refinance and run away with the money. God knows what they can spend this on. Uh, and our clients here, when faced with this option, are quite skeptical because they're essentially kissing the money away. Uh, and perhaps um, without the proper infrastructure in place, which is what we're here today to tell you about, it could be a recipe for disaster as between the kids um, if things go wrong between Bonnie and Clyde. So just to wrap up, whilst a lovely gesture to give the money to Bonnie and Clyde, um, that type of gift does need assessing, especially with Jamie and Graham at the outset. Uh, and before going to Jamie for some more tax implications of the gift, um, Graham helpfully can shed some light on Bonnie and Clyde's setup, whether they're getting married, perhaps um, if they get divorced, God forbid. Um, Graham, over to you on the gift from mum and dad. Well, probably um, that's going from one extreme to the other because that's the least amount of control in terms of what happens to that money. Essentially, uh, Clyde would say, well, that's that's his entitlement and um, the, the parents have no control what happens afterwards if the relationship doesn't work out. Uh, in particular, there could be a lot of bad feeling about it. Um, probably longer down the line, if they get married, this is where a lot of the arguments take place in terms of uh, was that a gift, an outright gift? Was it a loan? Was it only given to Bonnie? So it's it's a recipe really for um, for ill will and hostility in the future, unless that's genuinely what they want to do. So it's the loss of control that's a concern. Um, in this situation where they're still cohabiting, we would always recommend 
um, cohabitation agreement. And the other thing that can be done if they're planning to get married is that they have a, a prenuptial agreement. And this is referred to as separate property because it derives from Bonnie's family. But it is a situation really where the horse is bolted and the way the parents have control of that money is deciding what to do before they actually release the money. Uh, thank you. I think over to Jamie now. Thanks, Graham. Um, yes, so if mum and dad have decided that they trust Bonnie and Clyde enough to give give them the money to buy the, the property, um, obviously, as, as we've mentioned, they've lost control. Um, if they've decided to go down that route, from a tax point of view, um, it's, it's pretty good. Um, obviously, there won't be any capital gains tax issues here because mum and dad do not own the property and they've not gifted an asset which is uh, liable to capital gains tax. They've, they've gifted cash, of course, um, doesn't come under the capital gains tax regime. Um, so from a capital gains tax point of view, there won't be any issues. That's good. Uh, from an inheritance tax point of view, um, it hopefully um, will be a good thing. Um, obviously, there's, there's two caveats here. One's more obvious than the other. The obvious one is it's a pet, a potentially exempt transfer. So mum and dad have to survive seven years from the date of the gift um, for it to have fallen out of their estate for inheritance tax If they do survive that seven years, it should be out of, the, out of mum and dad's estate. There's actually been quite a good bit of tax planning for them. Um, but of course, they do have to survive seven years. And if they don't survive seven years, um, then as I said in the previous option, um, Bonnie could be lumbered with, or Bonnie and Clyde really in, in this example, could be lumbered with a hefty uh, inheritance tax bill on this, uh, on this gift um, and potentially not have the liquid assets pay it because uh, this might be their main asset. Um, and, you know, they might not have their liquidity. Um, so that would be, that would put them in a difficult situation. It is possible to take out insurance um, when you've made a gift, and that's something that might be worth looking into, um, but not really the subject of today's talk. Um, so that's, there's, that's, that's the potential, the, the one caveat that they have to survive seven years. Um, there is another one which might not be as widely known uh, and, and potentially might not be so relevant, but it's definitely worth mentioning. If we're going down this route that mum and dad trust Bonnie and Clyde so much that they're happy to give them money to purchase the property. It could be that they feel very close and there might be a tendency for mum and dad to say, well, we've given you the money for the property. We're very close. We'll come and stay with you. Um, you've got to be very careful because there are limits um, to how, how often one can stay in a property that one has fronted the money for um, in terms of it leaving your estate for inheritance tax purposes. If mum and dad go and occupy that property too often uh, in any given year, it could be that it's, it's caught back into their estate um, as a gift with reservation of benefit. So the care just needs to be taken that mum and dad don't overstep the limits there. But if, if these two caveats um, don't materialize, if they survive seven years, if they don't overly occupy the property, then it will leave their, their estate for inheritance tax purposes. And potentially there'll be no capital gains tax, there'll be no inheritance tax. It will be a good bit of, uh, of tax planning. Um, over to you, Ben. What other options are there for mum and dad? Uh, thanks very much, Graham and Jamie again. Jamie, just making sure when you said pet, you're not describing Clyde's 
uh, utterances to Bonnie. Um, okay, very good. We've had both extremes, um, but I can see everyone thinking there's got to be a middle ground. Um, I don't want to buy it in my own name, mum and dad. And I don't want to give the money um, to the kids. So, so good news, there is a middle ground. So this option is where mum and dad can still help Bonnie and Clyde um, pay some tax and maybe mitigate their stress as well, which is, which is welcome in these times. And this is when they loan the money to Bonnie and Clyde. This is an interesting and, and often preferred option for our clients, but it does need to be assessed at the outset with all our departments and set up correctly. Otherwise, it could end up horribly wrong. And that's what we're really trying to avoid here is the worst case scenario, which all too, all too often um, can happen in these family setups. So here, Bonnie gets her flat. Um, so does Clyde, maybe. Um, and mum and dad get a registered legal charge over the property. So on the registered title deeds, mum and dad's name would appear there and seemingly a win-win situation. And the beauty of this option is if it, if it does all go wrong, mum and dad can step in, sell the money, sell the property and get their money back. But here are the key considerations. Um, what are the terms of the loan? We don't have uh, nice Barclays to provide us with standard loan terms on this one. Um, when would it be repaid? Um, should mum and dad charge Bonnie or Clyde interest? Surely not, I hear you cry. Um, are Bonnie and Clyde both uh, and each of them liable for the full amount of the loan? Um, can once one law firm, OGR Stockdenton, act for um, all the parties in this type of setup? Um, perhaps. Um, what if one of the parties got hit by a bus or struck with COVID-19? Or if they're really unlucky in this hypothetical situation, both. Um, these are the type of things that we would consider um, for the parties and direct them to the best people. The main point with this option um, is that Bonnie and Clyde, even though they get to live in the property, um, their dealing with the property is, is somewhat restricted uh, and they can't sublet, um, even alter, and certainly not go to the bank and raise money without going to mum and dad first. And this really does give our clients, um, mum and dad in this case, a real peace of mind. Uh, and one sort of acute point is that um, Clyde, in our example, could turn around and say, hang on a second, this isn't a real loan, um, this is a soft loan. And if you want to call it back, I'll argue under the Consumer Credit Act that it's unenforceable and onerous. Uh, and indeed, we have seen this argued before. So these are the type of situations we try to prevent by considering it early on. Uh, and this is in particular helpful to have um, Jamie, who will talk a little bit more about um, tax implications when mum and dad loan. But before then, Graham, um, what do you think about this option from mum and dad? Um, well, it, it, it's more desirable in the sense of than the last one because there's a greater level of control. But um, would it be necessarily my, my preferred option? I, I would say that where the couple is unmarried, the, the best thing to do to protect the beneficial interest is to have a declaration of trust drawn up. Um, and for the, the parents to uh, have their third, as they're called third party interests, they can be registered, they, they can be included in that by noting their contributions. That, that will certainly be, ought to be definitive in a situation where the couple are, un, are unmarried. Um, with reference to soft loans, that's a common point that uh, arises um, on a divorce. There are often arguments to and fro. Uh, between the parties and their families about what what was what was it was it a gift does it really have to be paid back when does it have to be paid back um, my view about that and I'll defer to other lawyers about the commercial terms 
um, is that you need to get into those arrangements at the time of the gift. Don't try and do it later on. Don't do it on the cusp of when the relationship is breaking down, if that's what happens, because then that really does look as though that's been manufactured. So in my view, do something very clear, do it in, do it in writing and make sure that everybody gets uh, independent legal advice on the documents. Um, that would be my advice. But I think the way to go, in my view, from a family perspective, where the couple are unmarried with contributions is to um, have a declaration of trust that would also be coupled with a cohabitation agreement uh, where, where the couple are living together and, and are unmarried. Um, on to Jamie now. Thanks, Graham. From a private client perspective, I would say this is really, this option is the worst of both worlds. Um, I mean, okay, you don't have capital gains tax because mum and dad don't own the property. Um, so again, like we said in the previous example, it's not part of the capital gains tax regime. Um, but for inheritance tax purposes, um, it's still very much in mum and dad's estate um, because they have the benefit of the loan. Um, you know, the, the loan is due to mum and dad, and therefore there's no seven-year clock running or anything like that. It just remains as part of mum and dad's estate. Um, so from that point of view, it's not great because they, they don't have full control over the property. You know, they, they do have the benefit of a charge, perhaps, but they don't have... They're not holding the legal title. So, you know, they've got very little control over the property itself, but the full value of it is in their estate. So um, it's really not great. I mean, it is possible for mum and dad to, and we'll talk about this a little bit later in greater detail, it's, it is possible for mum and dad to gradually reduce the value of the loan. But if there, if there is a mortgage on here, another mortgage, um, it could complicate things in terms of, duty land tax at the end uh, when mum and dad want to pull out completely um, so that's just something else to be aware of um, there's something else that, that's really a side point um, for this particular topic that you've mentioned Ben but I think it's just so important that I've, I've got to raise it now when you mentioned you know what if you go under a bus or, or get COVID or both um, that's really an issue that is relevant to all of us, uh, you know, not just to mum and dad, not just to Bonnie and Clyde, not just purchasing a home. You know, we all have assets, we all own properties, we all have bank accounts, we all perhaps have investments, holding shares, etc. You know, we've got to be sure what's going to happen to our assets. Should we still be alive, but no longer have the mental faculties, mental capacity to manage our own affairs? And the the, the way to deal with that is to and enter into a lasting power of attorney um, whereby you appoint an attorney who will be in a position to, to manage your affairs should you no longer be able to do it's such an important um it's such an important issue that, that we all should be thinking about um aside from this so thank you for mentioning it, ben. Uh, thanks very much jamie um, and graham too uh, and i'm sure everyone's finding this is really helpful to have big picture thinking here um, for our clients and not just the tunnel vision that maybe some people enter um, purchases and gifts um, into. And, and just to add to, you know, what Jamie was saying about that potential option is that mum and dad do have the ability to reduce the, the amount of the loan and therefore their tax liability. Um, so we've had three options, mum and dad buying in their, in their names, 
loaning the money, gifting the money, um, anything else. You, you know, you, your lunch is nearly over and you want to know if there's any other options. Um, yes, there is. And this is actually a, a, an option that our clients do like. This is the joint purchase. This is where mum and dad buy with Bonnie and Clyde. Um, interestingly, four, four names can appear on a registered title deed. So in our example, this would work. Um, and this is a good option. This gives good control for mum and dad. They almost have one hand on the trophy. Flexibility with taxation, which I'll allude to and Jamie will expand on. Um, and the key point here is that if something does go wrong between um, the kids, mum and dad can step in and deal um, you know, with, with less bureaucracy. So by having mum or dad um, with bon Bonnie and Clyde on the title, they could um, choose the percentages that they buy in. So for example, mum and dad at the outset could have 60% and give Bonnie 40% or Bonnie and Clyde 20% each. Uh, and if after a long conversation with Jamie, mum and dad want to reduce their tax liability, then I can draft a document to change these percentages to mum and dad only having 1% and Bonnie and Clyde the 99%. So this is quite a nifty um, trick with this option. Um, and the beauty of working with the likes of um, Jamie and Graham in differing departments is that um, we can plan ahead for the clients and see things years down the line rather than um, just dealing with the, the particular matter at hand. So, so on this, um, Jamie first, and then we'll go to um, Graham. Can mum and dad buy with, um, with the kids from your, your areas? Thanks, Ben. Um, yes, yeah, so from, from a private client perspective, I think that this is probably a good middle ground compromise. Um, find, trying to find that balance between retaining some element of control, um, but you know, reducing the potential tax liabilities as much as possible. So, um, if mum and dad do own part of the property, uh, they obviously are going to be back in the capital gains tax regime um, on the value that they own. Um, but they do retain some element of control over the property because you know their names are going to be on the legal title. So that, that will definitely give mum and dad the comfort that they need. Um, from a capital gains tax perspective, as I said, they will be in the capital gains tax regime, but unlike the first example that we had, it, the whole value of the property will not be subject to capital gains tax, only the value that mum and dad own. So let's say mum and dad and Bonnie and Clyde, they go 50-50. Um, so only 50% is going to be subject to capital gains tax value. So you've already cut that in half. Um, from an estate um, tax planning, inheritance tax planning point of view, um, it's also better than the first example because the whole value of the property is not in there. It's only half the value of the property. And, and in actual fact, the half, the entire half value of the property is not going to be in their estate um, for inheritance purposes. Because when you own a property with someone other than your spouse, you have a joint ownership with someone other than your spouse. Um, there is a 10 to 15% discount when it comes to actually uh, finding the inheritance tax um, on that value. So in our example, if the, the value of the flat is 600,000 and mum and dad are, are gonna own 300,000, so it's 150,000 pound each, they won't actually, the value of their share won't be 150,000. It'll only be either 90% or 85% pounds. So the inheritance tax implications are quite reduced. Um, now, what 
Ben alluded to before, and, and what I also briefly mentioned in, in the previous album, is that as time goes on, and mum and dad decide that they trust Bonnie and Clyde more, or they, they you know, they feel closer with them, they want to set them up on their own two feet even more, um, they can gradually reduce the share of their ownership. Um, they have to take great care over here not to give more than the annual exemption for capital gains tax purposes, because as I said, their share of the property is caught by the capital gains tax regime. And if they give to Bonnie and Clyde more than um, the amount of the annual exemption, it will trigger an immediate capital gains tax liability. So they obviously don't want to do that. But if they do it carefully, with careful planning and advice, gradually, you know, annually in small increments, um, reduce their holding of the property um, up to the limit of the, of the capital gains tax annual exemption, they can gradually reduce that and pass over to, uh, to Bonnie and Clyde. And that will obviously reduce the value of their estate further as they go along. Um, obviously, as I've mentioned before, um, they need to survive seven years from each gift. So it will take seven years for those gradual gifts to actually leave their estate, but it, it's certainly something that can be done. Um, Graham, how does this option look from your perspective? Well, well, if we're looking on the side of the unmarried couple, it's 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 quite a quite a positive option. Um, everybody knows where they stand. Everything can be recorded, and it can be done through a declaration of trust. And you can also have a mechanism in the cohabitation agreement that facilitates the increased share with the children. So it's quite a nice option from that perspective. My only um, concern about this is when the couple have children and ensuring that they, they have a home where their children can live in a situation where the parents still have a, uh, are still part owners of that property. So that's a, that's a concern. Um, and in particular, we do see some complexity arising in a divorce situation if this couple go on to marry and then the issue of what, what actually is a matrimonial asset because essentially the part of the property in the parent's name would be excluded and then there becomes a pressure in terms of meeting needs. So um, I think it's something that needs to be looked at and, and carefully reviewed uh, as the couple go through life. But, but in terms of the examples given, it's one of the best. And I think back to Ben. Thanks very much, Graham um, and Jamie again. We've had um, all the options now from, from one to four. Uh, and back to Robert to, uh, to summarise and maybe take some of your questions. Okay, thank you, guys. So um, we've actually finished, you know, pretty, pretty early. It shows that we don't just talk and talk and talk. Um, so what I'd like to do now is use the remaining time to take some questions. If you wouldn't mind um, sending them to me on the chat, that would be great. I know a couple of people have got hands up. Um, but if you send them to me on the chat, then I can... Um, uh, ask the, the correct person. Uh, don't worry, I won't give your name away. Um, you know, that, so you, your secret will be safe with me. Um, uh, one, one's already arrived here. Uh, it's for Graham. Um, how does the advice change if uh, the couple are going to get married in the next year or so? Yeah, that's a very topical question, Robert, for two reasons. Firstly, because um, we believe that weddings are going to become a lot more popular at the end of the uh, pandemic because there was a period where getting married was actually illegal 
And secondly, the Law Commission are currently reviewing the wedding laws to make weddings um, easier. So um, I do believe there will be more weddings. Um, I think what's very, very important to get a grasp of is that a cohabitation agreement and a declaration of trust in themselves will not protect um, Bonnie or her parents in the event of divorce. The only way to protect that is by having a prenuptial agreement um, and by defining marital and separate property. Um, six months from the wedding is a very good time to negotiate these agreements. They must be entered into freely and voluntarily. And it's a good idea to try and get closure on them um, at least three months before the wedding, not only because this is in accordance with Law Commission recommendations, but it also allows the couple the opportunity to focus on their wedding plans free of these uh, stresses. So the strong advice is um, go and get a prenuptial agreement at that time. Back to you, Rob. Robert. Okay, so we do have, um, we have another question. Um, what about buying via a trust? Now we have discussed declarations of trust, but I mean, Jamie, could there be, as the trust guy, you're, um, are there any other ways of, of, of doing it or is it just the declarations of trust that we've been talking about? It certainly is possible um, to buy via trust. It, it complicates the matter much more um, because certainly from next year, I don't know whether people are even aware of this, but from next year, every single trust, whether it's taxable or not, is going to have to be registered with HMRC. Um, and there's a whole lot, lot of um, uh, administrative things to go through on that. Um, so um, that's just number one. It's, it's going to be an administrative nightmare. It's going it's to need to be registered with HMRC um, and go through all, all of that malarkey. Um, so that's number one. It obviously needs to be kept below um, the nil rate bands to make sure that there's no immediate uh, trigger for inheritance tax. Um, you don't want it to become a lifetime chargeable transfer. Um, but it's 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 an option. It's worth considering. Um, but it it is much more complicated, and we didn't really want to um, focus on that in, in uh, the time that we have. Um, but it's an option, and it needs to be obviously looked at uh, in the circumstances of family. Okay. And another question, because you mentioned this, what's classed as overstaying? You're welcome. Um, when when the property's in uh, in the kid's name, but the parents stay over. I mean, I, I mean, I, don't get me wrong, I love having my mother-in-law and father-in-law come to stay with us, but, you know, um, what, what, what's overstaying is, a, is a, you know, obviously I'm assuming it's difficult to answer, but is it a week, two weeks, you know? It's, a, it's not a week or two weeks. Um, it's, it's a difficult question to answer. Um, it's quite technical, but it, you're looking at more like uh, a few months rather than a few weeks. So um, I think you'll be all right, Robert. <laughs> Great. Okay, so there's a question for maybe the property people. Um, what's the position where both Bonnie and Clyde put in unequal amounts of money, um, or only one of them puts in money, um, and mum and dad make a loan as a second charge? So the, this is uh, this is a situation, you know, being blunt, you know, oh. one one one. one family is wealthier than the other and you know they put in more money what what michael what, what, what I mean, I, i'll come on to that i just want there's a question that's coming on the annual exemptions for, for capital gains tax 
which I think is about £12,900 per spouse uh, per, or per civil partner. Um, so again, this time of year, you would look at possibly making gifts before the end of this tax year and then make another gift if we're going to go down the hybrid option. So I just wanted to mention that. Also on the hybrid option, I'll come on to the question quickly. Don't forget about, when I say the hybrid option, it's joint purchase with Bonnie and Clyde. That does have terribly emotive and psychological problems. It does mean uh, 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 parents exerting control. And also there will be stamp duty land tax consequences on that at surcharge rates. So that needs to be factored in. On the question in hand where um, we have Bonnie and Clyde, often that's the, the scenario. Bonnie and Clyde, unequal um, contributions, normally one will provide a, a lot more actually. Then you are into the territory of declarations of trust for the, the, the young couple. And then if they're getting a loan on top of that from one of the, let's say Barclays or whatever, then you've got to, and the parents may want to make a loan, you will need the consent of that first lender, which is not necessarily forthcoming. So the parents will, may not be able to help out in that. Mum and dad may not be able to help, help out in that example. Also Graham's point about a cohabitation agreement side by side with the declaration of trust, setting out the unequal contributions, losses, profits, capital gains, etc., and their, their rights and duties to each other, the couple. One point I'd also like to make there is, don't forget about life insurance, life assurance. Um, that is, that as a young couple, and ho hopefully they'll be very health, uh, healthy, they can get that at a low rate, so that God forbid if anything did happen to one of them, then there's, they can write it in trust for each other. I don't want to get too technical, but life assurance is often forgotten there, where they are getting a, a first mortgage from Barclays or whoever. But in that scenario, it's going to be more difficult for mum and dad to help if they're going to get a first mortgage. I say more difficult. It's normally with a cash help. The second charge behind the first lender is going to be more difficult. So uh, I hope that gives a, gives a, a, a snapshot of what goes on. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. So um, if anybody else wants to ask um, any more questions, they can. If not, um, I would like to thank all my panelists here today um, for educating us. I think what we've shown is that there are at least four ways of mum and dad giving um, gifts and properties over to their children. What is right for you is obviously a matter of discussion because you've got different kids um, and we can, you know, we can talk to you. Um, and what what is important, of course, in all of this is that when you're thinking about gifting uh, properties and gifts to your children, you've got to think about lots of different legal issues. You can't just speak to a property lawyer who will just simply just transfer it and, and do what, what they say. Um, you've really got to think about all the issues because you know, people are going to get into um, relationships and um, people will die. Um, and you need to really think very carefully about all the tax consequences and family consequences and property consequences that um, these gifts are going to um, are going to make. Okay, so um, thank you very much, panelists. Again, I hope you have a wonderful afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, mum and dad, and thank you very much for joining us. <laughs>